From Hype HQ in Chicago, Illinois, Startup Hype Man presents the Goat to Market Show. What's up, everyone? I am your host, Raj Nation, the founder and chief pitch artist of Startup Hype Man. This podcast is where we bring you founders, company leaders, and creatives who are building it, who are doing it, who have been there and done that. And they pull back the curtain on their go-to-market strategies so that you can build a venture that you love and become the GOAT of your industry. Want first listen on episodes before anyone else? Subscribe to our newsletter at StartupHypeMan.com. You will get alerts every Sunday morning when we release new episodes. All right, let's hear how today's guest is becoming the GOAT. Ladies and gentlemen, making his way to the microphone. From Chicago, Illinois, he is the founder of Lofty Angels. Please welcome Christopher Deutsch. Uh, definitely the best intro I have I have ever received and maybe have ever heard on a podcast. So uh, thank you, Raj. Excited <laughs> to be here and talk more about Angel. Awesome. Awesome. Like I mentioned, he is Christopher Deutsch. Chris is the founder of Lofty Angels. What the heck is Lofty Angels? They are helping passionate founders, disruptive startups, and all these innovative organizations change the world. They are focused on first check to seed investments in Chicago early stage startups. Over the years, and these numbers might even be a little bit outdated, there are 150 founders in the Lofty family that's across 83 startups 75% of those are led by underrepresented founders. They've also had five exits come out of the portfolio. Lofty Ventures has been the initial money behind some of the best names in Chicago startups, including the likes of Popular Pays, Four Degrees, Paladin, Science on Call, a startup hype man, a client actually, Retail Aware, so many others. And And Chris himself has been not only championing founders as an angel, but also been championing the concept of creating more angel investors in the city and nationwide. Now, our topic today is on how to become an angel investor. And before we really dive into that, I just want to give a disclaimer up front, given the the nature of this conversation, everything we talk about today is purely for educational and entertainment purposes. It is not investment advice. So with that said, Chris, once again, welcome to the Goat to Market show. Our topic is how to become an angel investor. Why is this on your mind and why is it important to you? Awesome. Uh, Let me give a a, a couple quick, uh, fill in a couple quick blanks. Uh, I'm the founder of Lofty Ventures, and there's really two communities inside of that, the Lofty family and Lofty Angels. And so I really look at them as two communities. Um, also, the stats that you got from our website need to be updated. It's been uh, it's amazing how, how uh, I, I'm actually already only over allocated for 2023, and it's only midway through the year. Uh, it's been a very busy year. Um, today, the Lofty family, which is our 159 founders at 88 companies, 80 percent of those are here in Chicago, and 75 percent are led by underrepresented founders. No new um, uh, inv- uh, no new exit since since you. Uh, uh, since I updated that last. Uh, and then the Lofty Angels community is today probably about 200. I actually have to look and see it grew a lot um, since last week when we had Tech Chicago Week. And uh, and the, and what the, the part that's fun and interesting is, is how those two communities are starting to merge into each other and how some of our founders are learning angel investing and, um, and, and we're giving them access to angel investing through the Lofty Angels uh, community and this other thing that we have called the Lofty Syndicate, which in some cases um, both members of Lofty Family and Lofty Angels are using. So I just wanted to. Uh, there were a couple points there that I uh, wanted to put a, a little bit more clarification around. Go ahead, ask that question again, Raj. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for clarifying there for everyone. So my just starter question is quick, brief, upfront: How to become an angel investor? Why is this on your mind? Why is it important to you? Yeah. So. Um, Quickly, like how I got involved, I made an angel investment 25 years ago, more or less by accident. I was 23 years old, 1998. I was building a startup at the time, right out of a year after college. 
And a friend of mine who I was working with his startup while in college uh, in the mid 90s wanted me to go work with him. I said, I'm sorry, I'm tied up building this e-commerce platform. Maybe I can help in another way. Maybe I can make a small investment. Is there something you need? And he needed servers. And back then there was no AWS for any of that kind of stuff. So literally made a $5,000 check, his first check, my first investment ever. Uh, and, uh, and over the next 15 years, I did a handful of these uh, investments, uh, really ad hoc. And over the past 10 years is when I've done lofty ventures where I've had these 88 different companies I've, in, I've invested and supported. Um, so that's how I got involved. Why it's on my mind and why I care about this is there is a dearth of investors that are able to help founders get from zero to one, meaning idea to actually having something, something that you can sell, that you can offer to clients, that you can uh, build a business around. And, and whether it's friends and family capital or angels or even early stage VCs, we need more capital that's available to these zero to one founders. And I'm very passionate about A, being a source for that and helping those founders. Like really, if I had longer sleeves, I'd show they're, they're rolled up. I like to roll up my, my <laughs> sleeves and get and get, uh, get, get involved. Um, but, but really like just capital, like we need more of it. And unfortunately, I think globally, um, but certainly uh, domestically and in Chicago specifically, there just aren't enough. And, and I know that because I say, when I come in, I want to be first check, literally like the first money that comes in, but I also don't want to be last check. And what that means is if I come in anywhere at my 10 to $100,000 check range, very few, and I would argue almost no, even friends and family, like first rounds are going to be 100,000, which means it's probably more like 250 to 500. And what that means is when I come in, even at the top of my range, we need to bring in other investors to fill that out, or frankly, my capital is at risk. And so it behooves me to come in and make introductions to, I've got about 250, 300 co-investors that span from angels to VCs super early to later. And I'll send a subset, um, I'll, I'll send an email to a subset of those with the deal that I just invested in. And I only make introductions to co-investors when I personally put my own capital in. A lot of investors do that differently. It's just one uh, one way that I do it. And my goal is to bring in additional capital and fill out that initial round. And the problem that I've discovered is there just aren't enough people that are willing to take those early, early bets, especially in Chicago. And so that's where Lofty Angels has come in and that's what we're trying to do. So I am now open sourcing the 25 years of angel investing experience that I've accumulated materially really over the past decade. And I'm not just giving my own, but other perspectives as well. There are people like Troy Hennikoff and Amanda Lanner and Minda uh, uh, Bruce from, from out in the West Coast who teaches a, a, a class on angel investing. All these great people. And we do, uh, it's effectively a, a podcast. I call it uh, Lofty Lunch and Learns once a month. And we're just sharing that in in live, a uh, little bit of a fireside with some Q&A, and then we record those and, and we'll be archiving those uh, uh, soon. But but we need more angels, and I'm very very passionate about trying to build that. And there's a, there's a couple flavors um, that I'm really excited about, and the, and the biggest one is is getting founders involved, specifically our founders in the Lofty family. And then how do we scale that and enable more founders to learn angel earlier in their careers? And there's a bunch of reasons why, but we might get to that later. We'll dive into a whole lot more of that. And you know, one of the points that Chris mentioned was rolling up his sleeves as an as an investor. And I'll tell you observationally, I think, so we've been in the same circles for several years, but I think really known each other over the last year, maybe. Um, I, from an observational perspective, I think, Chris, you're probably the most involved investor I've ever come across. Um, every conference that I go to, you're there representing probably T-Bot, one of your companies, but if not T-Bot, one of the other companies, like you're right there alongside with them in the trenches. Um, and it's it's inspiring and refreshing to see it's not just writing a check and saying, figure out a way to get me a 10x return. It's helping be part of that journey to getting a 10x return ultimately. So we'll dive a whole lot more into this stuff as we go through this conversation. But let's just take a step back for a moment and let's learn more about who is Chris Deutsch. So my first question on this note is, what did you actually major in when you were in college? And how does that apply to what you do today, if at all? That's a crazy question. Um, my official major was econ, 
I was economics. Uh, but my sophomore year in college, or somewhere between my freshman and sophomore year in college, I put together a 20-plus page proposal to my father to buy $20,000 plus of computer equipment. And that next fall, I dropped that into my dorm room and was teaching myself. So I went to this very small um, uh, liberal arts school that was very ivory tower kind of thing. Computer graphics in 1994 was not a thing <laughs> almost anywhere, let alone at Vassar. And so I had to really teach myself. So I call that my unofficial major when I was at school. Um, and that was hugely, hugely, like if I would not have written that, written that stupid proposal, I never would have obviously been able to afford $20,000 worth of equipment. I probably would not be having this conversation with you today. So my unofficial major was incredibly important. Now, what's interesting is my official major, the econ, which I spent far, far less time on than <laughs> what I was doing with computer graphics and all the stuff that I was doing on the side uh, in, in early days of the web and starting to build, I think I built uh, Vassar's first I believe I did. If I'm misremembering this, I apologize, Vassar. I believe I built their first admissions website circa like 95, 96. Um, but all that kind of early stuff was really helpful. Now, what's interesting is later in my career now, as I focus more on uh, not just angel investing, but some of the stuff that I'm doing more civic and starting to get a little bit more involved in like politics and like what's going on with Chicago and all that, I honestly would rather spend less time on <laughs> The economic side is actually becoming more important and understanding how markets work and why we're seeing people leaving Chicago or coming to Chicago and the, the marketplaces for talent. And in a post-COVID world, there's almost no switching costs for people to leave or come. All that kind of stuff. Like I'm thinking much, much more about economics. I've always It's always played a little bit of a role because when you're thinking about business, and that's, by the way, why I majored in econ. It was the closest thing to business at, um, at Vassar. And so I knew it would have some degree of, of benefit, but um, really, as I go further and further in my career, it's actually becoming more and more um, uh, pertinent. And, and I'm, I'm also, uh, I find myself going, God, I wish I just would have paid attention a little bit more in some of those classes. But, um, but what's funny is I actually have my principles of economics uh, from one of my one econ one one classes. It's actually helping to stand up my monitor. So, <laughs> <laughs> so twenty and thirty year old uh, textbook is actually uh, front and center every day for me, keep me. Um, so that might be the most benefit that I've received from my <laughs> major is holding my monitor. monitor. <laughs> I haven't really thought about it since you asked the question. <laughs> That's an amazing use case. My major is what is what holds up my computer every day, quite literally. <laughs> right. All right. So um, while you're at Vassar, and it's funny, you're wearing a shirt today that says Upstate Lacrosse. Vassar is in Upstate New York, I believe, and it, I believe you also played on the rugby team, or not? Sorry, not the rugby team, the lacrosse oh. team while you were there, oh, and yes. also the rugby team. Okay. Yeah. Um, what do you think the experience of being a collegiate level lacrosse player taught you about? work, about investing, about living the life you have now? Oh, man, I'm going to distill like a several day conversation into as close as I can to like 30 seconds. Playing team sports, I think, is incredibly important and really valuable. Um, and and I'll, I'll try to steer this away from me and give an example. One of the founders I've invested in, there's a company called Tandem, uh, which is founded by a former Division One soccer player from Michigan State. Um, and there's a couple of tandems. Uh, this one is a financial operating system for couples uh, based here in Chicago. Uh, there is a um, a different. It's when you're when you're an angel, you're trying to evaluate founders as quickly as you can with very very limited time and diligence resources. And so there are some things that you look for for litmuses, and one of them is when you see on a on a resume or LinkedIn, LinkedIn or whatever, I played a division one team sport at a high level, you know, immediately they're going to be good with, with teams They're They probably will have leadership. They're probably going to understand it. There's no I in team. You know, we have these uh, uh, commonalities when, when you see um, uh, team athletes, which is also a little, and no offense to uh, individual sport athletes, like, like tennis and, um, you know, uh, running or what have you. Uh, but it's, it's a different animal when you're on a field or in some kind of, uh, an environment where, where you're relying on every, every other, uh, man or woman on that field or that court together. So, um, 
it's it's a hugely valuable thing. Lacrosse still plays a huge role in my life today. I'm actually on the board of a nonprofit uh, that uses lacrosse to help underserved kids in Chicago. It's called Outreach of Lacrosse in Schools. Um, I am also still, I play myself, I'm 40, almost 48, like in a week, I'll be 48. Uh, so it's it's a huge part of my life. I will always, if I can, continue to play lacrosse and and use that as a vehicle to, to help others. But but I think team sports, organized sports are really invaluable. And I, I encourage kids at as young an age as possible to get involved with it because it get, you, you get a lot of life lessons out of that, especially in, in the context of business. Businesses or, or teams, I really mm-hmm. think of uh, when I'm investing in, in a company at the earliest stages, I'm not investing in a company. I'm investing in the founder or co-founders. Even like the team outside of it is like, they can always be hired or fired, but the co-founders are in. I mean, they're pretty locked in. And so um, I, I love to see that they're they're good with people. They're, uh, they're, they think about teams. So I, I, I actually went longer on that question. I wanted to... <laughs> Such an important question. It's a really, it's a meaty question. I could go on so many different tangents with that, with that one. Yeah. And I'll tell you, even as someone, so you mentioned the running aspect. I did a year, I did a season, I should say, no, I guess a year of division one track um, before quitting uh, just because for many reasons, but one of them was I was not getting better and it was just the, it was taking up so much time and my grades were suffering. Um, But even if, even though that's more of a technically like individual sport, when you practice, you rarely are practicing by yourself. And in fact, sure. you, in order to get better, you practice around other people because one person's pacing, you want yeah. to keep up with that pace and so on and so forth. And sure. I always find professionally, there are conscious moments and there are subconscious moments where I can like directly attribute to what I had learned through high school and then college as a track athlete to how it impacts me today. And I, that, I, I think there's almost a case to be made for like potentially in the future, a fund, if it, I mean, I'm sure it already exists, but a fund that only invests in former collegiate athletes because of the level of discipline that it requires. Even if you're like, this is what I always say, right? I quit after a season. I think even if it doesn't matter what sport you're playing, if you manage to stick with it all four years, And not, and still maintain good grades and all that stuff. Like you have such a unique skill set and ability to prioritize about you that very few other people ever even get the opportunity to test themselves if they would have that skill set or not. I completely agree. And by the way, I think that that exists. I, 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 I can't like point exactly to it, but I feel like I've heard that thesis before. Like we invest in, you know, four year uh college athletes or something. I, I I can't exactly remember, but yes, I, I agree with you. And, 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 and yes, I, um, everything you said too about even individual sports, you're still part of a team. Uh, there's no question. Now, a little bit different after you get out of college, you know, like you play tennis, you run or something typically more on your of own. Course. Yeah. But, uh, but yes, um, I, uh, I completely agree with that. And, um, uh, and that's awesome that you can, uh, you can really attribute that um, to this day as well. I think that's super, super valuable. Well, let's dive into the angel investor discussion now. So, um, we talked earlier, you mentioned how you got into it in the first place, almost by accident. Um, can you walk through, like, we've all heard, or maybe we have or have not heard that like, you have to have some type of like minimum net worth to be able to be an angel, sure. but, but then there's accredited versus unaccredited or non-accredited. Yep. Can we just get some like definitions around these and, and what does one mean versus the other? Yes. Um, and the, the, I'm not even going to like say what the, what the specifics are, because again, like, I think like just go and Google what accredited investor means. I'd rather not um, like be defining that on here. Cause it's a very specific, uh, like the IRS or whoever in the government makes that delineation, but they're, they're effectively when you're talking about investing in illiquid assets um, uh, like, like um, private companies, you, you have two designations. There's accredited and unaccredited. And uh, and there's like net worth or like income levels, et cetera, that lead to you having that accreditation status. Or I believe it's a series 65 you can take, which is a test that that enables you to, uh, to get that accredited status. There are platforms and ways that you can invest if you're accredited versus unaccredited. I'll just rattle off a couple. Uh, if you're unaccredited, 
Um, and, and again, just like Google, am I in like, what is a credit investor? And you'll be able to like, look at those criteria and say like, if you're right out of college, the odds are you're probably on a credit, like just, you know, to be very clear, like yeah. from net worth and, and your income and all that. Um, if you're a little bit later in your career, it's possible you might be, um, for unaccredited investors, there are platforms that are think of like Kickstarter, but instead of like making an investment, uh, excuse me, making a purchase for a product and you get that early and like, maybe you get some kind of perk, you're doing that with equity. Uh, and there's a couple platforms, like I believe WeedFunder is one of them. Um, Republic. Republic is, yeah, Republic is the one that I've, I've worked with the most. I know uh, the president over there and we've got a bunch of lofty companies that have done, excuse me, um, Republic uh, uh, equity crowdfunding campaigns. So that's that's certainly an option. You can invest as low as $100, I believe. And that's great. And maybe we'll talk more about why that's great later in terms of like how you get started. Um, but but having a very low dollar threshold for per investment is super important. And, and hopefully we talk more about that. Yeah. Um, on the other side of accredited, is an accredited investor, you can use platforms like... Um, like AngelList, which actually I'm an investor in directly, but we also use Angel AngelList as our platform for the syndicate that we've created to enable people to invest in deals that I've personally invested in previously. Um, so when you're an accredited investor, you're able to make those investments. And actually, if, if you want, you're able to write large enough checks, you can go directly and invest with the founder if they're accepting checks that meet if your maximum check size meets their minimum check size, meaning like I'm an investor, I write thousand to ten thousand dollar checks. Well, if there's a founder that's looking for ten thousand to hundred thousand dollar checks for this round, you can invest with them because you meet their minimum, um, and you can just go directly to them if you if you get access to that deal. Or you can use platforms like AngelList, and on AngelList, there's all these different syndicates that exist where you can go and and make uh, little investments into those. But the difference between going direct to the founder and using AngelList is you're usually going to pay some fees. And those fees will be like a percentage of the actual investment amount because AngelList needs to make money. And then on the back end, if the investment does really well, then the person that runs that syndicate will take what we call a carry, which is a little percentage of the success of that company. You'll get all of your principal back, but after the principal is returned, then any returns on that um, that investment, you'll split usually 80-20 uh, with, with the, the syndicate uh, lead. And, and that's one of the things that I do that's a very, very, very small part of what I do. But it's a growing part because this vehicle of having syndicates is, is enabling us to give access to our founders in the Lofty family at very low friction. And we can talk more about that later. Mm -hmm. So I think this is, this is an important point because for the longest time, I was under the impression that in order to, unless you were going to use a crowdfunding or participate in a crowdfunding platform as a potential investors, I won't call it donor because you're getting equity. I was under the impression for the longest time, probably until we started talking like a year ago, that in order to be an angel, you had to be accredited. I didn't, but, but separately, you could just write 5K to someone if you wanted to and, and be on their cap table. Like that, that is allowed. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. If I miss, like, you really do need to be accredited if you're going directly into a uh, a private company. I, I, I maybe I didn't say yeah, that. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's. I might have I might have misspoke. If that if that's I'm apologize. Uh, you actually need to be an accredited investor. Now, um, I really shouldn't say this on the record, but I promise you, it happens all the time where unaccredited investors are doing that. And that usually mm -hmm. happens in a friends and family round. I don't think any, like you're not going to go to jail if that happens. Really, the accredited investor is meant to protect people that are, are supposedly less sophisticated, right? The goal, the, the idea that the government was trying to put together is if you've got a million dollars in the bank or you make X amount of money, there's supposed to be some correlation between that and being more savvy. Now, is that really true? I don't think so. I've met a lot of people that have a lot of money that are are absolutely, uh, let's just say, uh, to be nice, morons. And that's a nice way of putting it. Um, so I don't know that there's necessarily a correlation between uh, personal net worth or your salary and, um, and how savvy you're going to be at making uh, investments into very illiquid private entities. But with that said, it certainly does happen. Um, and I'm not advocating for that because that would probably be bad and illegal. 
Um, but but no, you're really not supposed to invest in a in a private company without having accredited status. Okay. All right. What so, happens if you do that? You're probably going to lose recourse, especially if the investors or the founder said, "Look, are you accredited?" And you go, "Yeah," and like you know, check the box or something. If you go, "Wow, this founder like really like broke the law, did some stuff." Well, you said you you represented you were accredited, and right. and really, if the founder is doing it right, they have to ask, "Are you accredited?" So anyway, but long story short, like that's a whole nother animal, like go and Google that you can get lost in like government uh, documents about what accredited versus non-accredited is. And I think the idea is, you know, to protect an individual, like you don't, it it protects against like the, you know, that old musical, the music man, like someone coming into town selling crappy music instruments, right. It it protects people from, from that happening to them. So, okay. So that's how kind of like getting set up, gets started. Now, maybe it's your journey, or maybe you've observed others. Like someone is an acc- becomes an accredited angel. Like you can go on angel list, but like, how do you let people know that I invest now? Do you just put up a post online being like, come pitch me? Like, how do you start finding deal flow? Uh, this is a semi complicated answer. Let me, um, let me answer it in the, in the context of I'm just getting started. And I'm not intending to be making direct investments into companies, meaning I'm going to I'm going to be investing through some kind of vehicle, sure. whether that's I'm unaccredited. I'm going to use Republic and, you know, the other crowdfunding equity campaign kind of sites or I'm actually accredited, but I still want to write small checks. So I'm going to use like AngelList or one of the uh, akin platforms. I, I'm going to say AngelList because I'm going to disclosing I'm an investor in that company. Um, so uh, you're not going to go out and say like, I'm open for business, come and pitch me because you're not really a source of capital for founders yet. Uh, not in the way that they're going to come and and find you and go and solicit you. You're, it's like almost like um, you're going to go to the grocery store and like go do some shopping and you're going to compare like, you know, this can of soup versus this can of soup versus this. And like, it's, it's, it's effectively like laid out and commoditized for you. Like it is at um, an angel list. Now you could say, I'm going to go write thousand dollar checks. You go do that on AngelList and you're going to go look at 20 or 30 different companies and go, well, based on all the companies I've looked at, this one actually looks pretty interesting. I'm going to put a thousand dollars in that. Okay. Well, I'm going to look at another 10 or 20 or 30 more. Oh, this one looks interesting. I'm going to put a thousand into that. And so you're not really going to get inbound yet because you're not writing large enough checks for founders to come and seek you out. Once you start writing checks directly onto cap tables, meaning I'm going and working directly with a founder, I'm not paying carry, I'm not getting the benefit of other uh, investors doing diligence for me and all that kind of stuff that you get on these on these uh, these marketplaces, these these angel lists and uh, and republics and what have you. So now like that's a whole nother lot, like you graduated if you're going to start going direct. And once you start writing checks out in the community, that's when founders start to talk and go, oh yeah, you need to go talk to Raj. You need to go talk to Chris. You need to go talk to Samantha. Mm-hmm. They're all writing uh, checks and they're great. They help, they roll up their sleeves and whatever. So in the early days, you're not going to be worrying about like, how do they find you? They're not. You're going to go onto these platforms and you're going to start doing your own diligence and, and learning, but you're going to be leveraging other people that are smarter than you in that, not smarter than you, smarter than you in angel investing. You're going to leverage their expertise. You're going to leverage the diligence. You're going to leverage the access that they have. Like, I'll give you an example. When we, we've only done five syndicates um, in the past year and a half plus, almost two years now for Lofty Syndicate. But when we do one of those, it's uh, four of the five were for follow-on to an existing to existing companies that I already invested in. So I'm already building some relationship with those founders. And the fifth one that my first check was actually in the syndicate. My my uh, partner uh, that that works on the syndicate with me, he had been mentoring this founder for two years. So part of the reason that we like to have that um, it follows uh, the syndicate follows existing investments that I've already personally made. Because we're building a track record and sure. and and we've got a little bit more confidence, and that's when I'd I'd rather open it up to people that I uh, I'm friends with, et cetera. So um so in all those cases, we've we've built some kind of track record with the founders, but we also do a live Zoom pitch like this, and we'll get the founder on and our 
Uh, Lofty Syndicate members can come on and ask questions. And then anybody that couldn't watch that live, we record and archive and put that on the deal memo uh, page on on uh, on the syndicate um, angel list. So you're getting the benefit, whether it's you know our syndicate or anybody else's, you're getting the benefit of all that diligence and access you wouldn't get, right? Even like maybe I'm writing 10 or 25,000 hours, just you might not have that much access to those founders um, or that much time, et cetera. The, the amount of time and access and, and how much diligence and stuff you can do goes up the larger the check size, obviously. We've got to be very careful as angels that we aren't disproportionately taking time from founders based on the amount of capital that we're, we're, we're willing to invest in their company. Because the odds of us actually making an investment in their company are very low and they know that. And they've got to have 20, 50, 100 conversations for every check that they get. If I'm writing a $10,000 check, Imagine they've got a hundred, ten, or twenty-five thousand dollars checks or meetings to get that that check. You got to be really thoughtful and sure. careful with the time that you're taking of them. So one of the benefits of us doing syndicates is we can aggregate a lot of people's small checks into one big check, and then we can get access more time from the founders, and that, and everybody wins them because instead of doing these small ones, we're writing you know an eighty to over half million check, which is what the range has been for our syndicate. Off those uh, off those five, and and they don't it scales well for them because we're recording the you know the the, the Zoom et cetera. Mm-hmm. So um, so the answer the, that was a long answer to your question. Um, really, when you start off, you're going to uh, you're going to be looking for and investing through intermediaries as opposed to going directly to founders. If you want to ask this as the next question, I'd love to ex- explain like a very basic framework. If you're like, you know what, I've learned a little bit and I want to start writing checks. How do I do that? Would you like me to answer that question? Is this, a, is this the founder framework or is this a different thing? No, no. This is for like, I, I you know what, I'm a, I want to, I, I've been yeah, go for it. yeah, go for it. Yeah. Now I want to start actually writing checks. There's a very like, I think, that, and this is really important because people will get approached by like a friend who's like, hey, I'm starting a, a startup, like write a 25K check. And they're like, yeah, sure. I'll just, that's, that's, there's a, when that happens, this is usually when somebody starts thinking about angel investing. The first thing to know is whatever check you write, expect all of that to go away. So don't invest more than you're willing to completely lose. Mm. So if you have a friend that's like, here, write me a $25,000 check, you should say, okay, but I'm going to lose a hundred percent of this. So what you want to do really is say, how much capital am I willing to wager, because that's almost what you're doing, right? You're effectively making these bets. Now, hopefully they're educated uh, bets, what I like to call investments, but you have to expect that all of those could go away. So what I, the framework I like to use is say, how much are you willing to, to put a uh, budget over the next three years? And um, and a nice, easy number I, I throw out is, okay, as example, let's say $25,000. Now, when I say you're you're budgeting $25,000 for the next three years, I'm not saying you have to today have $25,000 sitting in like a bank account that nothing touches. You're budgeting that. So over the next three years, you're going to be allocating, let's call it $8,000 a year that you allocate over time. So even at like year one, you don't have to have like $8,000 in the bank. You're just like, okay, well, I'm going to deploy you know, some of that. So mm-hmm. now we get 25,000. Okay. That's how much you're willing to, and, and all of the hundred percent of that 25,000, you have to say, I'm willing for that to go to zero. Like this has to be really like incredibly high risk capital that may go to zero. Now it may have multiples on return, but it also may go to zero. And even if it does, there's going to be benefit. I'll come back to that. Now you go, okay, so I, I'm going to do 25,000. How many investments should that be over the next three years? Divide that by 12. Portfolio, you really ought to have somewhere between 10 to 15 investments. I think 12 is a, a nice like sort of round number uh, throughout that. So we're going to divide it 25 by 12. It's basically uh, 12 $2,000 investments. You're going to do $24,000. So over the next three to four years, if you do three to four investments, two to three, three to four years, you do uh, two to three, three to four investments per year. At 2,000, do not pick winners. Every investment you're doing is, is that whatever, you know, it's 50,000 is four, whatever that number is. Divide it and and do those evenly because you're not smart enough yet in angel investing to be able to start segmenting who you give more weight to and who you give less weight to. It takes a long time to get to that. Right now, you're just trying to say like binary. Is this an investment that I want to make or not? Now, in order for you to make your first of those 12 investments, you really need to look at at least 10 right? Like your ratio should be a minimum of 10 investments, You or 10 perspective investments you look at, you make one. 
the higher, the better. The more that you look at, the more you know. I'll give an, an analog that's completely outside of angel investing. When you're buying a house, when we bought the house that I'm sitting in right now, we looked at 50 some houses, like literally toured them, like looked at that. That's the equivalent of like actually having access to the founders, right? Like we mm-hmm. was it just like on, like we actually toured 50 plus houses. We finally looked at the one that we loved and we knew that was the one we loved because we had looked at so many before we had perspective. You're building perspective. So when those, the very first couple that you're making, try to look at hundreds or thousands if you've got the bandwidth, right? Like just keep looking because things will stand out, right? There'll be things, oh, this like really got great uh, revenues or metrics or whatever. You also want to make sure that you're comparing them apples and apples. So stage versus stage. Try to look at all like pre-seed deals or all seed deals or all A deals or, or B. Those are just the stage of the deal. And the and the the criteria that you're you're judging those companies is going to change at each one of those stages. So in the early days, try to just pick a stage and, and invest at that, whether it's pre-seed, seed, or A, you know, whatever that is. But but look at them in that same stage. So they're apples and apples. And then you'll start to notice things that stand out. Um, and also different valuations. This one's at a 20 million and this one's at a five or whatever. Okay, so so now you've you've got a framework. You're investing twelve over the next uh, three years. Now you've gotten through those three years. You've made those investments. You're going to go back on it. Not only are you going to know the companies you invested in. I didn't say this before. You need to create an anti list. So you should write down all the companies that you looked at but didn't invest in. This is one of those situations where it's like, uh, do what I say, not as I do, because <laughs> I never did that. If I was going back now, I, de- I definitely would. I, I sort of have this like mentally, I've, I've kept pretty good notes uh, just mentally of like which ones I pass on and which ones um, I've invested in. And there's definitely ones you're like, oh man, why did I miss on that? It was like, you know, exited for like $2 billion or whatever. <laughs> but but then you, that's important because you go, well, what did I miss? And you do this like postmortem on that. So after your three years, you're going to look at the companies that you invested in. How many of those are still in business? How many have had up rounds? How many are like actually doing really, really well? Looks like there's going to be some kind of positive outcome. Maybe there are, one is already sold, but you're also going to look at your anti list of the ones you passed on. How many of those are out of business? How many of those have had up rounds or already had an exit or whatever? And that's going to help you hone, right? This is your, uh, your feedback that you're getting, your, your uh, feedback loop to help you get better. And at this point, you're also going to reevaluate your thesis. What, what, what was my thesis initially? You might not even really have a thesis in the very beginning. Um, it, it can take a little bit of time to, to get there, but you really want to have a why. A why is really important. And so um, I encourage people to like just answer, why do I want to be doing angel investing? Is it, I, I, I want at some point like really help founders. Maybe I am a founder and I know like how hard it's been and I want to, I want to pay it forward and, and, um, and help the next generation or um, I'm a high net worth individual and I've got some risk capital. I'd love to get involved. It might make more sense for you instead of like being an active angel, actually be an LP, a limited partner and invest in other funds that are doing all the grunt work and the heavy lifting and all that for you. You just you pay up some fees and you pay up some uh, some carry potentially, uh, but that might be a better avenue for it. Um, so, if you can answer what is, what's your why, why are you doing this? I think it will it will help guide your strategy, your thesis, all that kind of stuff as you move forward. In a moment, I actually want to ask you about what your your personal why is. But before we get there, this conversation. Really, we're we're talking a lot about the early journeys of a startup or getting in early with a startup. And I want to just talk to you, the listener, for a moment and ask you about in your early stages, in your journey, what are you doing on the development side? How are you building your software? Are you going to an offshore team? Maybe it would help to have a software development partner based in the US that will help you and be a guide in a similar way that Chris advocates that angels should be a guide, not just an investor. And on the software development side, that potential guide you can have is Akeva. They are really the software development partner to help you go from zero to one, whether that's blockchain or no chain, Web3 or Web2, mobile apps or SaaS. Akeva builds it at startup speed and enterprise level, enterprise level refinement. Tons of startups have trusted Akeva, like Stride Health, Aveno, Olive, Inside, and many more from the first dollar all the way to their billion dollar valuation. And they want to help you become the goat to market. 
Uh, I will tell you, let me just tell you a quick anecdote um, and, and why it's an interesting offer that they've got for you as a result. One of our portfolio clients used an offshore company to get their development of their beta app created. Uh, they were about to launch and then they talked to Akeva. Akeva did what we call a you call it code review. Basically, they reviewed the most critical aspects of this startup's app code. And what they found was that had they launched, they would have basically launched and had all of their users' PII data publicly accessible. And they were a fintech. So you can imagine how disastrous that could have been. But because they took a step back and had this code review done by Akeva, they realized just how vulnerable position that they were in and that using the offshore team was going to really hurt them in the long term. And so with that anecdote, I want to share that they've got a killer offer for you now. And that is they can do a you call it code review for you. So what exactly does that mean? Well, Akeva will review the most critical parts of your code so you can see exactly what your tech needs to launch or to scale. And they'll do this completely free, and then you call it from there. Meaning, you want to handle things on your own? You call it. You want to get Akeva's dev help? You call it. Want to take it somewhere else? You call it. That's what a you call it code review is. No one else in the industry is offering this. And so you definitely want to take them up on it to make sure that if you're launching or if you're already out there, that you've got the best tech possible. To get a you call it code review, either reach out to me, Rajiv, at startuphypeman.com or learn more at akava.io. That's A-K-A-V-A dot I-O. Today on the Goat to Market show, we are here with Christopher Deutsch from Lofty Angels talking through the process to become an angel investor. Now, Chris, before the break, I said I wanted to ask you, you, you talked about it's important to have a why and figure that out. Have like What is your thesis? Uh, as you get comfortable angel investing. So I'll ask you now, what is your personal why in angel investing? I, I just love founders and entrepreneurs. I've been a founder my whole life, dating back to when I was just a little kid. Uh, I really should call that an entrepreneur. Um, and I just feel so lucky and um, fortunate that I get to spend every day of my life waking up and spending it with now 159 of the most passionate and uh, brilliant and generous and giving uh, people I, I could imagine. I, I want to. I think it's really important um, as capital allocators that we invest in the future that we all want to live in. Uh, mm. And so I I take great pains. And this gets a little bit into the value that you you added for me a year ago. We had that that T bot in 1871. You helped me get to what is the what are my my uh, my diligence questions that I look for in founders and, and it was starting to percolate a little uh, bit in my brain before but you really forced me to sit down and start to to uh, to pull those out but the first of those four is giver in the Adam Grant give and take sense uh, and and that's a huge element in what I look for in the founders that I'm I'm investing in is. That they're givers, and and not just on the the giver side of of the the give and take spectrum, but they're a ten or eleven uh, on that um, on that criteria. And so, um, so my big why is I I want to I just love it. I mean, there's just nothing in my opinion that's more fun than this. Um, and and I appreciate what you said too, uh, being uh, active with the companies. I do it because I love it. It's not you know, it's not nobody's paying me. Like I have literally no income. Uh, I do I. Everything I get is on the back end um, uh, from the investments I made in a, a couple uh, instances. I'll earn a little bit of additional equity if I'm like an advisor as well, and they need me to do more stuff. But that's all on the back end, and I'm um, I'm, I'm really just honored and and it's fun. Um, and and these founders are doing stuff, in my opinion, that's going to make the world a better place. And I want to bet on those people. Well, Chris, let's do this. We are running short on time, unfortunately. Could I, and there's like a few more questions I do want to ask you around like sure. getting founders involved, learning yep. more about like, you know, that that framework you've developed around investing. Could I offer to you, could we do our wrap up, but could we do a part two of this episode as a follow-up yeah, where we go into that. all of that? All right, yeah. fantastic. So everybody, we're going to do a part two episode with Chris. So be on the lookout for that uh, next week. But in the meantime, Chris, let's hit our wrap up here. My first question in our wrap up is, just where can our listeners find you? Where can they learn more about Lofty Angels and the syndicate and the Lofty family? Uh, social media is the best place. Um, I'm relatively active on Twitter. Uh, 
I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I don't do as many posts and stuff on it. Uh, but on my Twitter is Chris underscore Deutsch, D-E-U-T-S-C-H. Um, you can also go to loftyventures.com. There's a, I think it's a syndicate at the top. We need to change that to really like Lofty Angels. If you sign up for that, it's just getting you into our database so that you'll get information when we do what we call these Lofty Lunch and Learns, which are these effectively a live podcast that we offer all around angel investing. doesn't cost anything to join that. Uh, you can be accredited or unaccredited to, to close the loop on that. Um, and also just around town, if you live in Chicago, I, as, as uh, Raj uh, um, alluded to, I, I spent a lot of time going to events. Um, we had the Tech Week, uh, Tech Chicago Week last week. Um, I do a lot of stuff with World Business Chicago, P33, Future Founders, uh, there's so many great organizations and nonprofits in Chicago. And I try to Chicago innovation. Uh, I try to support all of those. Chris, who is one person you want to shout out? Man, there's like, I don't know, over 159. Cause those are our founders, but, <laughs> um, you know, I'll give one because she's been amazing. And, um, and I highly recommend anytime this woman is on a panel, on a stage, talking in a room, Go and listen if you can. Amanda Lannert, the 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 founder, not founder, excuse me, the CEO. I mistake her for founder sometimes because sure. she's been there for so long. CEO of Jellyvision, uh, just an amazing woman, um, and and I would consider her to be a mentor, a good friend, and just such a huge part of the fabric of the Chicago ecosystem. Uh, anytime she's on a panel or speaking at an event. I pull out my Evernote on my phone and I take as many notes as I can because everything that comes out of that woman's mouth is just gold. So uh, Amanda Lannert's an easy one. There's just, there's too many to name, obviously. Amanda has been a past guest on this show. So everyone listening, you can rewind back to last season and you can get a great conversation, listen back to a great conversation with Amanda. Um, Chris, we've talked about a lot today, but just covering specifically what we've covered today for the part one what are your top one to two? Well, we'll do this. I'll go first and I'll give mine and then I'll then I'll let you go yours. We'll do the top one to two lessons or takeaways for the listeners based on today's discussion. So again, the topic was how to become an angel. Um, there was a ton that was covered. I think I really love that like framework you put together. But um, the 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 my biggest takeaway is being able to ask yourself. Am I willing for this money to go all the way to zero dollars? Am I willing to completely lose everything if I make this investment? Chris, yeah. your top one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners? Well, well first is just resources. Uh, so, and also Amanda did one of our lofty lunch and learns. Uh, so, if you would like to see that or Angel 101 uh, lofty lunch and learn with Troy Hennikoff, or we, we've got a bunch of these, we don't have it set up yet. Eventually, there'll be a lot, maybe you're listening to this a year or two down the road, we should have loftyangels.com set up by then. Uh, but you can always go to loftyventures.com uh, and, and get on the list uh, to be notified when we do. Um, if you want to get uh, links to any of those YouTube videos, go ahead and send me an email, chris at lofty, L-O-F-T-Y ventures.com and say, I want content. I will send you a couple links. I can also send you, we have a two-pager PDF that shares some of the stuff I've talked about and other resources like books that you should read, like Jason Calcanis's Angel, which I make I make no money on any of these things. They're just open source resources. Happy to share those. So feel free to reach out, send me an email, um, DM on Twitter, whatever. I'm happy to share that stuff. Uh, and I'll give another takeaway. Um, I said, even if you lose that 25K, what you'll gain is, is think of it as like, I'm spending uh, money on, on a teach yourself MBA. Even if 100% of that $25,000 goes away, which it shouldn't because you have a portfolio of 12 companies, even if they're 2000 bucks each, if one or two of those hit, it should return capital for at least most of, if not all, or even a big return on the 25000 that you invested. But even if it all goes to zero, look at how much you've learned over the past three years. You've looked at hundreds of companies, at least 100, if not hundreds of companies to get to that. You've, you've evaluated, you've all this knowledge you've gained, it's it's cheaper than going out and getting an MBA. So so even in a worst case scenario, you've taught yourself a ton. Um, but but really the purpose of of spreading that risk across a portfolio is is what hopefully buys you the ability to get a return on that capital as opposed to it it going to zero. The the last real takeaway that I I think it's so important that if you really want to do this uh materially past that first couple of years, 
nail your why, like really, really be clear on what that why is. It's going to shape your thesis. Like my thesis is invest in Chicago founders as early as possible in their careers and support them holistically forever. This company, company after company after that. And a big part of my why is because I love it. I want to work with founders. I want to work hands-on with them. I have a limited amount of capital. I don't want to spread that across the entire country. But if I make if I make an impact here in Chicago, I can make an impact by investing all that capital here in Chicago because a couple million dollars focused in one area at the earliest stages is actually meaningful. Spread that across 50 cities, it's it's irrelevant. Uh, so what are your whys? It's going to help form your thesis. My thesis is Chicago for a lot of these reasons. Also, my thesis lines up well with my four criteria. We didn't get to the the all yeah. the other three criteria. We can we can do that on part two. But the why really influences your your thesis. Usually we will end our show by asking one question that is fill in the blank. Entrepreneurship is blank. However, since we're having you back for part two, we will save that to close off our part two episode. So listeners, uh, we'll come back next week with another episode with Chris Deutsch and we'll dive deeper into not just today was how to become an angel investor and we'll dive into the, the role an angel investor should play and how to invest as an angel investor but that means for the next this week and the following week, when we release these two episodes, Chris will be hopping into our community, the Goat to Market Club, for an Ask Me Anything to follow up on all of these topics and more. So make sure you join at startuphypeman.com slash GTM dash club. Chris, we'll see you next week for part two. Thanks for joining today on the Goat to Market Show. Love it, Raj. Thanks, man. That does it for this week's episode. Thank you again to our guests for joining and sharing their knowledge. Did you like what you heard? Well, leave us a rating and review on your podcast app before you head out of here. And while you're at it, who's one friend who you think would find value in hearing today's conversation? Go ahead and share the episode with them. I would really appreciate it. And I thank you for doing that. Remember, we've got more going down with our guest inside Goat to Market Club. Think of it like the after show, the after party, the after hours special. Our guest is going to hop inside the club and do an Ask Me Anything. So you can follow up with any of those questions that came to mind as you were listening. You can follow up and ask them to our guest inside our club. To join, just head to startuphypeman.com slash gtm dash club. Startuphypeman.com slash gtm dash club. GTM Club is $9 a month, but your first month is free. You can cancel anytime. And you're not only getting the AMAs, you're also getting our monthly strategy drops that are for members only, where we're teaching hyper-specific tactical go-to-market strategies, plus cool member-to-member interactions and other bonus resources. All of that happens inside the club. So again, startuphypeman.com slash GTM dash club. We'll see you inside the club and we'll see you next week. But before you head out, remember, why be a unicorn when you can be the GOAT?